Welcome to the Yogi MD Podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. If you could hear smiles. I know, right? (laughs) If you can hear smiles, yes. That's always a thing. Yeah. Aren't you more than how much you weigh and what you eat? In the last few months on the podcast, we've considered some questions, such as, how do you care for others? How do you contribute to your community? How do you realize your potential? How do you show love? How do you stay curious? How do you declutter your environment? These are just a few ways that we discovered how to thrive as a whole person with a whole life. And now, as we wrap up the year, up next is spiritual health. We are going to reflect upon mortality with journalist Thomas Gaudio. Find purpose with author and teacher Oslem Ozkan. Cultivate hope with author Jewel Kuchera and business coach and writer Linda McLaughlin. And last but not least, practice altruism with educator and author David Reynolds. Trigger warning. If you are thinking about suicide or you know someone who is, please get help at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And now, let's talk about cultivating hope with Jewel Kuchera and Linda McLaughlin. Linda, what does hope mean to you? Hope means to me possibility. You know, hope is a sunrise to me. In that you have the opportunity to start again try again and make something more of a day than maybe yesterday seemed possible. So it's about possibility and it's about moving forward into the smallest of opportunity to make make a change in your life that, that you maybe have been resisting. What hope means to me is not one of the things I thought about in advance, but what happened when you said that, what hope means to me is I have some, a few years of reading the Bible in my history and a Bible verse popped into mind. And I don't think it's, hope is used in the definition. The verse is, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so if I switch the words around, hope is faith. (laughs) Hope is faith in, as Linda was saying, a better tomorrow, a better future. And sometimes hope has to persist in the absence of all visible proof. Why do you both think that hope is something that people 
may not necessarily default towards? I think it's because of our primitive brain. When faced with something we don't want, we're either going to run from it or freeze or fight it. And so I think our brains naturally go that way. And pausing to think of reasons to be hopeful isn't a natural default. I'm reading The Power of Now, Mm. uh, Eckhart Tolle's Mm -hmm. um, book. And what I've been reflecting on is the concept of time and kind of that future state and and the fixation on the future and the fixation on the past. And while hope is perhaps, you know, a half step toward the future, it's very much a state of mind. And so living in the now, what I think what's very difficult for, for all of us, um, you know, the majority of people is that we're so focused on what happened to us in the past and what the future may hold. And unfortunately, we're sort of wired to anticipate the worst. Um, And so hope is a difficult thing because it's a state of being at the present moment. We have difficulty staying in the present and just being in hope. And the odd thing about that is if we could just stay in the present, it's much more easy to be hopeful than to ruminate on the past or fret about the future. Absolutely. Okay. Do you think that you have to be an optimistic person versus a pessimistic person to cultivate hope or to lean that way? I do not. I've been told I'm a cynic. (laughs) So... As as somebody I know said, I don't think the glass is half full. I think the glass is about to be knocked over and broken. (laughs) (laughs) And to me, it's a a choice. It's a choice to Mm. take a hopeful approach and to also be self-reflective enough to know what gives you hope so that you don't just start to spiral down. Because it is a practice, I believe. I know this is true for me, and I get a sense that it's true for Linda, too, that we are aware of when we start to fall back into old patterns of thought that are not positive, that are maybe de- depression or awfulizing or whatever. And I like to be aware of those when they start so that I can take defensive action <laughs> rather than let them pull me under. I think one of the challenges I have with the concept of pessimism and optimism is it's yet another example of that binary thinking Mm -hmm. so that you, you, you're either one or the other. And I think at different times you can be, you know, you kind of might swing back and forth and, and more and more, I I talk about things sort of on a spectrum. Um, You know, whether it's, I talk about courage and I talk about, you know, hope and, you know, you could look at anything and, and, and think about it in terms of where does it fit on a spectrum? And, and again, on, on a given day, you might be feeling particularly pessimistic or optimistic. And you could also look at those as being future, 
future looking versus um, looking towards the past. Mm. The pessimism, mm-hmm. the pessimism, the negativity of what's happened in the past is that brings that pessimism forward. The optimism of of the future and the possibility of the future is perhaps where the, where pessimism sits. So, you know, again, it's it's that whole either or black or white kind of mindset, which I think is it's it's funny. I because I think those labels are also really damaging of mm-hmm. like, oh, you're so pessimistic. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, yes, in this moment, I'm feeling pessimistic, but that I am not. It doesn't make me pessimistic. Um, I'm feeling pessimistic or I'm thinking in a pessimistic way, but it, you know, that's not what I am or who I am. This is really great. Thank you for bringing that point up because it really reminds me of a cognitive distortion uh, bias that I particularly have personally, which is towards black and white thinking and fighting that binary thinking sometimes and putting myself in a container, giving myself labels. I was thinking about that awareness piece that Jewel brought up too uh, a little bit earlier in that in 2020, I do think of myself also as leaning more towards the cynical and the pessimistic side. I have to work harder on the joy and the lighter side. And yes, there are gray areas. But in particular in 2020, with the pandemic, and just every time you opened the internet, any tab, it was just doomsday stuff. I thought to myself, this is slowly killing me. I am going to have to find a way to find some light here. And so I purposely made a folder in my email that was called HOPE in capital letters. And any positive feedback from a yoga student or a kind letter, or I'm sorry, a kind email from an old friend, I would just stuff that folder with hope because I needed that light. What are some of your practices? I'm trying to think of the name of the email um, that I get. It's um, uh, created by a group that David Byrne from the Talking Heads created. Uh, And I will look for it and I can't think of it just now. But it's basically, you know, it's a bit of optimism, right? It's, I, I mean, I listen to podcasts. And certainly, Simon Sinek is a, I love his podcast called A Bit of Optimism. So I certainly try to seek out those positive things. I try and have positive practices, uh, whether it's meditation or affirmations, uh, the reading and writing that I do. And just making sure all that self-care stuff is happening. Um, but I, I don't have a hope folder. And I think I probably, that's a, that's a really good idea to, it's so funny, you get one negative, mm-hmm. you know, two-star rating or something. And you're like, oh, what, 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 ha- why did I get that? And of course, you have dozens of others of really positive feedback and stuff, but, you know, just focusing on the worst. So I just think that we really have to almost counteract doubly anything that's potentially negative with something that is sort of extra positive. Yeah. I don't have a hope folder either, but I did have that same experience, Nadine, where 
I realized that the news was pulling me under. And so I had to turn off the spigot. And I said, only on Sundays could I look at my news feeds. And that helped when I stayed consistent with it. I was tempted sometimes. And, but every time, it never made me feel better. More informed, yes, but I didn't feel more hopeful after mm-hmm. having seen that. I'm happy that I have practices now. I think it took me a long time to realize that one can have practices that help make me, you know, I can have practices that help make me feel better. And what I do now is I ask myself, what do I need? Like what, what would, and it's not even a needy need. It's what would make me feel better now? What's one simple thing I could do? And sometimes it's as simple as, and this is from a friend who I was talking about things I do. And she goes, Jewel, it could be as simple as holding your hand over your heart. And she, we were on a Zoom call and she put her hand over her heart and I did it too. And I thought, oh, that feels good. I mean, I know it feels good from when I've done it in yoga classes, but I don't have to be in a yoga class to put my hand on my heart. Mm-hmm. So I put my hand on my heart or I go out for a walk, self-care. I make sure I'm eating right and not, because there's some foods that I know like chocolate, turns me into kind of a up and down kind of crazy lady. Unfortunately, (laughs) I love chocolate. And then the other thing that helps me a lot is going out and taking photographs because it focuses me to just, I pay attention to such a small little square when I'm looking through my camera phone. I, all that other stuff that's in my head, I don't have time to think about because I'm focused on this And as long as I can stay out of my own head, the real solution is whatever will take me out of my own head, because that's the source of the discomfort. You're both, again, clearly wise women. You're learned people. You're curious people. And so, and also articulate in how you've been describing how you see hope and how you've incorporated practices into your life. Now, Everyone's human, and I know it wasn't always this way. So can each one of you share a time that was particularly taxing where you had to really dig deep and find the courage to cultivate hope? Because it was not easy at that moment. Well, there have been several times in my life when I've really lacked hope, and I'm going to skip over the first hard one, which was when I was 15, and thought about, seriously thought about exiting the planet. But today, I want to talk about my first marriage when I realized, actually, I didn't realize. I didn't realize that it was not good. I just knew something was wrong in my life, and I was not aware that something was wrong in my life. All I was aware of was my asthma was getting worse. And it was really bad. (laughs) So I went to the doctor. He said, so how often are you using your rescue inhaler? And I said, "Mm, maybe mm, 20 times a day. Which, yes, Nadine, just as your eyebrows went up, so did his. Because apparently rescue inhalers (laughs) are not designed to be used (laughs) on such a regular basis. And he prescribed a prednisone or a steroid thing to inhale instead to make my asthma recede. 
and it did help, but it didn't. I just knew something was wrong in my body. So I talked to a friend at work who's a very, she's a health person. She eats well and natural healing and all that. And I said, Susan, I got to do something about my asthma. Got any advice? And I was hoping she'd say like mint tea or something. (laughs) But she said, oh, I think you should see my naturopath. I had no idea what a naturopath was, but I saw her. And the first shock was that the appointment was an hour long. I've never talked to any medical person for an hour in my life. And she asked me questions and questions and questions about every possible thing. And about halfway through, I started crying and I couldn't stop. And I just kept crying and crying. And she got out Kleenex in here and I'm going working my way through her Kleenex box. And then at the end of it, I said, so how am I? And she said, actually, physically, you're healthier than most people I see. And then she said, but something is making you very, very sad, and you need to figure out what that is. So that was the beginning of what's making me sad. So I go, now I go to back to work. I talk to another person. I say, Rose. I know you see a therapist. What's her name? (laughs) And I go see the therapist. And the moment of truth for me was, it was my second visit. I'm sitting on her couch. I have my hands lifted above my head. And I say, but I am happy as the tears are running down my face. And I walked out of there and I went, Jewel, you are lying to yourself. You didn't just lie to your therapist. You are lying to yourself. So that's when I realized that something wasn't right. But what happened was my husband and I had a fight and we didn't normally have fights, but I told him, and this fight will give you plenty indication about the health of our marriage. I told him I wanted to go on a bicycle ride with some friends on Friday afternoon because we were had short Fridays at work. And he said, I forbid you from going. And I said, since when do we forbid one another anything? Like, what's that forbid word? And he said, I don't want you to go. You're not going. And I said, I'm going. And that was on a Sunday and we fought about it every night. And then on Friday, I went on the bicycle ride anyway, and I had a really good time. But when it was over, I didn't want to go home. And so I stayed at my friend's house who hosted the bicycle ride. And then what happened was uh, a woman at work had a nervous breakdown and we had to go to work on Saturday. And I called my husband and said, I have to keep working and I, I can't come home because I'm to stay at the hotel for tonight. And then he said, well, you got a phone call you should probably know about. And I said, what? And he said, your Aunt Olga. My Aunt Olga was like a grandmother to me. My grandmother passed when I, when she, when I was 10. So her sister was like an aunt to me. She goes, your Aunt Olga died. And I said, when did she die? And he said, I said, when did you know? He, he said, I got a call Wednesday. And I said, this is Saturday? Why didn't you, how could you not tell me this? And he said, what's most important is our marriage. And so that's, that's, that's why I didn't tell you. 
And I hung up the phone and I went, I'm never going home again. I will not. And unfortunately, I was wearing shorts and a ratty t-shirt. So I left with the clothes on my back. But then I went back to the therapist and that was really helpful to talk it through. What's so tough about it is that I feel like what kind of woman puts herself in a marriage like that? But I know what kind of woman does that. It's one who feels like that's the best she deserves. And I know that's not the best I deserve. Well, two thank yous. Thank you to 15-year-old you who didn't go through with it. And thank you to getting out of marriage number one, you who chose herself. Thank you. Thank you. As I was thinking about the story that I would choose, I realized how many times in my life I had no hope. As a relatively young person, I mean, I, I don't know when I first really understood the concept of not living anymore. And that that was an option I might choose. But certainly as a teenager, that was something that came up several times. And certainly the most sort of severe time was, I was in high school, I don't know what age I would have been, whether it was like grade 11, grade 12, grade 12 maybe, I don't know. And I remember calling my best friend and we were chatting on the phone and I, I just sort of started to talk about the fact that I didn't, I thought I was going to, just not going to live anymore. And was sort of talking in those terms and we talked for a while and, you know, she was upset and trying to talk to me and I don't even know what the circumstances were. I don't know what was going on. Shortly after that, uh, like my friend's parents showed up at our door and, uh, you know, there was a whole thing and my mom ended up taking me to, to uh, the hospital or to, um, to see a psychiatrist anyway. And I went once and <laughs> basically after that experience I was like, okay, I'm never going back to those folks. Um, it was some kind of weird thing. It was like a teaching hospital. And so there was like, not, not just one person for me to have to talk to, but like three, like there were five people in the room and really kind of aggressive questions and stuff. And, and I was, yeah, I, the, anyway, it didn't go very well for them. It didn't go very well for me. And it was like, I'm never going back. And it took me a very long time before I really went to see anybody. I want to say I was in my early 30s before I really started to see someone in, you know, in the mental health profession on a regular basis. It's, it's something that sort of is just there. It's like a wave. It's something that's sort of ever present and sometime 
sometimes is 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 there in a very strong way and and other times it's seems to have receded and i believe now certainly now that i've acquired these now that i've now that alcohol isn't a factor now that i have a meditation practice and then i do all these things and i have this whole routine that it's kept at bay for the most part and i certainly feel it and see it and every once in a while it's like oh yeah oh that okay here we go and the pandemic has just been horrendous for trying to keep it under under control and if you're predisposed to depression and looking backward or or worrying about the future not living in the now then you can wind yourself up pretty well and you don't have the skills at you know 15 16 17 years old to really understand what's happening really understand what you're feeling really understanding that this is a moment in time and that it won't always be this way and believing and understanding that things will change things will change that are out of, out of your control and that you can change things as well of like you know go for a walk or go for a run or you know whatever those things are that will help kind of um flip the switch for you um, psychologically or physically that will help you break out of where you are thank you for sharing that it resonated with me on many many levels um not being aware of something being kind of wrong, not having words for it, not having context for it, and feeling like it's your fault. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like if I look back, because I was diagnosed with depression, as you both know, uh, about 10 years ago, but it started way, way, way before that. Mm-hmm. I just didn't understand it or and, and I thought it was a flaw a character flaw like I just why couldn't I just be happier like everyone else and why was anger and fear why were those two modes so easy for me when I looked around at my social circle why wasn't I is happy. What was I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When did the practice of hope start to become a reality? When did you both start to realize that that was something that you wanted to practice? I think before I wanted to practice hope, I just wanted to feel better. Because I'm thinking back, what resonated for me and what Linda talked about, one of the things was describing it as a wave and becoming accustomed to the waves or recognizing the waves. And I wrote a song about the wave just so that when it started to happen, I could remind myself. And it reminds me that when the wave comes, it wants to pull me under, but and I might go rolling, I might go t- tumbling, but, and I might come up sputtering, but I do come up because I know that I was meant for more than this. Mm. And that's a belief or a faith or a hope, but that I was meant for more than this. 
one thing that helped me bef- got me to the path of being in a place where I could think about practicing was seeing a therapist. And the biggest lesson there or what I took from it was the things that I feel, I can believe them because I grew up in a place where I might be afraid of something and I would tell myself, no, you do not be afraid. Or, or I might make an observation and an adult might counteract that and say, oh, no, that's not what's happening. And so I had no sense of confidence that I had any ability to truly navigate reality. And just knowing that if I'm feeling slighted or if I'm feeling like something's wrong about this, one of the things that happened to me that I'm really happy about is at when I was on co- at college, second time, <laughs> a man, I thought like a man was following me and I went into a convenience store and I walked in that convenience store and I spent an hour in that store waiting for him to leave and he finally left and I, I, I didn't have a lot of money and I bought like gum or something and the cashier said, you were right, he was following mm-hmm. you. And I thought about how, when I was younger, I might have disregarded that feeling of somebody is following me. I I would have not trusted that instinct, and who knows what could have happened. But just that knowing that, you know, I should, it's safe for me to listen to my own feelings and my own thoughts about things. Now, I can be off about things. I could think, you know, something's happening that's not. But my thoughts and feelings are not to be automatically discounted. So, I'm hearing trust 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 myself yeah mhm mhm yeah and i don't know when don't know when we begin to embrace that whether there's there's that acknowledgement that external acknowledgement of somebody saying no no you're right you 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 know you were right about that moment that you begin to unwind the other voices that have been telling you oh well you know don't don't worry about that or don't don't make such a fuss about x or y and yeah w- you know when do you start to be able to listen to your intuition into mm-hmm. your inner knowing as as we say in in the biz mm-hmm. um you know <laughs> and and you start to be able to identify um that that gut you know that gut response which which is so useful to you in the surviving the world but it's also thriving in the world that gut instinct of uh you know that's yeah that's the right decision that's the right choice can serve you in so many ways and so the sooner that one can learn how to hear that and understand that that is what that is the sooner one can also identify what you need to in a healthy way soothe your hurt self and mm-hmm. and find the hope and find the the switch that's going to help you go back into the calm waves as opposed to the 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 undertow mm-hmm. so what i'm hearing from you is agency mm-hmm. tying back into what Jewel said initially too about uh, hope being a choice. What would each of you say 
to your past self, or maybe even your future self, who's feeling mm-hmm. particularly hopeless and in that dark place, like that undertow is trying to pull her down, what would you say to her? I would say that fighting the current will only exhaust you. The only constant is change. And so what is happening right now is not forever. And, And the hardest thing I think for me is learning to sit with the emotion Mm. because we want to get past the emotion. Mm. We want to get to the other side of it as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the, the greatest learning, which I think I will be working on for the rest of my life is that sitting with whatever the emotion is and acknowledging it and sitting with it and not fixing it there is a there is a value in feeling and understanding that whatever the emotion is it's anger it's it's fear it's disappointment it's shame and those are big you know, big ticket items <laughs> that one, one really, you know, they're not pleasant to have to, to sit with. Um, and yet, as soon as you really and fully acknowledge them, it really takes their power away. Mm. You really kind of, in fact, move through them. But you really have to own them and really have to sit with them. So I think it's that mutability of the moment, the mutability of the issue. It's sitting with whatever emotion it brings up. And then the the practices of the mindfulness of the affirmations in order to keep your mind healthy and present to what's what's going on and and to be able to see the waves i mean you know i love i've loved going to hawaii so many times and they talk about the three sisters and you know you sit and you watch the ocean before you enter the ocean for safety's sake and in the same way mm. uh, you know i love getting up with the sunrise and it, there is that sort of sense of how am I feeling? So reconnecting with yourself and the, the idea of just kind of watching what, what's happening with the ocean, what's happening with those waves and being aware of when there's a dangerous set of waves coming at you. That's not the time to step into the ocean. You really have to wait and yeah, there's a, there's an awareness that you build and uh, an understanding of safety and Um, self-care I think I want to say this to my future self because I'm aware that the waves have come and there have been some times when they come pretty hard so 15 33 
41. And I do sometimes think about, is it going to come that hard again? You know, is it going to, will I be able to handle it? So I'm going to say this to future Jewel. (laughs) (laughs) So future Jewel, looks like a blue wave is coming your way. I love you. I love you. You might not love you right now, or you might not love whatever's going on, but I love you. You were born for a reason. You deserve to be here, and it ain't over yet. So feel whatever you feel, write it down, and then stop and ask yourself, what do you need? Do you need a walk? Do you need more than that? And if you can't figure it out, call a friend. There are people on this planet who love you, and they've already told you that if you ever feel like this again, to call them. So pick one, make a call. I love you. I tell you, there are these times where (laughs) silence and gratitude are just the best response. Linda and Jewel, my goodness, what an honor. You have both been so vulnerable and buried your souls, so it is only fair that I ask the both of you if you have a question for me at this point. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, okay, go. (laughs) So, Nadine. She's rubbing her hands together, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) It's really straightforward. What? When you are on that spectrum, I'm using Linda's word of Mm -hmm. spectrum, from hopeless to hopeful, Mm -hmm. when you feel yourself going more towards the hopeless side, what do you do to bring yourself back towards more hopeful? I have a wonderful mom, dad, sister, brother-in-law, my daughter's. So I have the people around me. I know I can be as ugly and as vulnerable and as completely myself as I need to be. And they won't judge. No strings attached. Unconditional. I know I can put my headphones on and listen to music. And that always makes me feel better. I know I can exercise to get out of a funk. I know I can enjoy a delicious plate of food. I know I can breathe. This is really new for me, even though I am a yoga teacher, but something that I've been hearing both of you say a lot in your answers today is this idea of I am not my emotions. And just being able to pause in the moment and say, okay, This is not going to last. These feelings do not define me. Can I be curious and be uncomfortable right now and sit with them and listen to what they're telling me? Is there something I need to do or not do? So those are the ways that I have learned from many, many years of practicing aspiring to be a more hopeful person. 
Thank you. Did you get from this conversation what you hoped you would get? Yes, and a thousand times over. I get to be a podcaster. This is another way that I cultivate hope, actually, is talking to people who teach me something new, who show me blind spots, who are willing to be so honest and vulnerable, and who also make me feel like I'm not alone. And you two have given that to me and more today. Mm. So I thank you. Mm. We're not alone. Mm. No one is. Linda, what is your personal definition of, of what it means to be healthy? I would say forgiving of myself. And so I think it's healthy to be able to be forgiving of oneself when you, you fall down, when you don't stick to the re regime, whatever it is, you forget to do your you know, you wake up early and you decide you're going to go and run off and see the sunrise before you meditate. And then it's three o'clock in the afternoon, you haven't meditated yet. It's that forgiveness of um, things happen, life happens, and those, and, and embracing the happy accidents as opposed to beating yourself up for the um, slipping uh, on your regime, whatever it is. So I think when I'm healthy, I'm forgiving of myself and my desire for spontaneity. Thank you. Jewel. I really like that embracing the happy accidents. I'm going to borrow that perspective for when I, my discipline of myself <laughs> is too stick-like. <laughs> okay, so for my personal definition of health, I thought, actually have thought about this a lot for a period of years. And I have a model that's because I sometimes I feel like I get so in my head, I can't even think myself out of it. And so I can look at my model and ask myself, you know, how am I on these different dimensions? So it's like a compass north, south, uh, east, west. North is spirit. Am I spiritually aligned? South is body. Am I physically energized? West is mind. Am I mentally focused? And East is soul. Am I emotionally connected? And that means not just to others, but also to myself. So it's spiritually aligned, physically energized, mentally focused, emotionally connected. And when I'm all of those things, then I view myself as healthy in all those dimensions. I love it. I just love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now it's time for the Mindful Minute. A great big thank you to each and every one of you for taking the time in 2021 to listen and learn how to become 
a healthier person socially, emotionally, mentally, physically, intellectually, and spiritually. For the next minute, find a comfortable place to sit. Lengthen your spine. Breathe in, expanding your belly and chest. Breathe out to relax your belly and chest. Breathe in the word hope. Breathe out the word despair. Dear wise women, thank you for growing our community. Keep using your wisdom and emotional intelligence to share this episode with someone in your social circle who will benefit from hearing it. Your grandma and your mom need yoga. Maybe you need yoga too. I teach yoga to wise women. I believe in empowering and educating wise women to thrive on their terms at every stage of life. Let's hear what a wise woman has to say. I'm a worrier. It's a little much, I think. And yoga always calmed me down. You know, it gave me a, a positive focus. This, everything's gonna be okay. Uh, it's just really been like a centerpiece in my life and I didn't have that until virtual yoga. To learn more, connect with me at yogimd.net. And finally, podcast theme music is by my niece Maya Bishop on vocals my daughter Lizzie Kelly on guitar and bass yours truly on percussion and produced by Tim Buer thanks for being here see you next time